Welcome to the latest Mayfair Theater podcast. This is Josh. This is Mel. And this is Andrew. We're, we're so behind the scenes. As we speak, Mel is typing an email to our programmer to uh, ask about uh, getting a possible movie. Uh, it is May the 4th, 2015 in may, Ottawa. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th, may the 4th be, with 4th you. be with you. Oh, and of course, we were, we were uh, whining and complaining before we started rolling that we wish, we of course wish we lived in a world where we could be playing a Star Wars movie today. Uh, we get requests every year, whether, whether it's a, um, a May the 4th or with, of course, the, uh, the looming J.J. Star Wars universe uh, coming down the pipeline towards this Christmas. Uh, why aren't we showing a Star Wars movie on May the 4th? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> we Double would, vault. Yeah, now it's done. And here, okay, so for those, those not in the know, and I always say, you don't have to know. There's no reason you have to know. You just want to watch a movie. Same way that I don't know how the food industry works, but I like eating at restaurants. Um, <laughs> I, like. <laughs> I like eating. I enjoy <laughs> eating. I like Converse. I don't know how you make a shoe, but I wear Converse all the time. Um, so when Star Wars was under the Lucasfilm banner, uh, which it still is kind of, uh, there was the thing, a vault, basically, where, where the powers that be, George and company, didn't want the old movies to come out. Somebody was mentioning, like, were there changes made to these I'm not the Star Wars guy. Right. Um, so I don't know, like, I watched the originals on VHS. Right. So would that be, were there any changes made to special effects and stuff like that? Like there was an E.T.? Yes. Mm-hmm. So in, okay. in 97... Seven. For the 20th anniversary, they released special editions, which had new effects, a whole bunch of new effects thrown in. Um, and then those came out, God, 97. So those came out on, like, VHS. <laughs> and yeah. um, then when the prequel movies started coming out in 99, God, I can't remember now. Did they bring out one final round of them, or were they gone by then? I think they were gone. And so they... they Put them away in the vaults. And I think there's various reasons for this. Either they think make more money on DVD and video and TV sales or something. Well, I sort of feel like it's maybe just like, I don't know, it's kind of marketing genius. Yes. They they let you anticipate the possibility of seeing this movie. Yeah. Or having a release of some sort like on DVD or whatever. Yeah. Um, without actually... You know, they don't have to if they don't want to. If they right. don't think it's going to be worth their while yeah. to, say, re-release The Little Mermaid or something like that. Yeah. Um, they could just, It's a carrot. The vault is like a oh, carrot. Oh, yeah. And, and I always kind of... I, I'm a, a old-school Star Wars nerd, and I always kind of come to the defense of George Lucas because people say, how dare he put out another edition? And I'm like, yeah, but everybody does this. Whether you're like, you know, the Beatles had vinyl, and then they put out eight tracks, and then they put out cassette tapes, and then they and then, put, you know, mono and stereo versions yeah. of, their, of their releases. So it kind of comes down to, like, it's going to keep happening. And, and I remember a few years ago joking that whenever, like, the Red Ray came out, there'd be Red Ray editions of the discs. But now, and I could be wrong, but I think we're at the last incarnation of of discs i i think we're done i think everything's going to be digital i, I can't imagine yeah. well i mean what about 4k maybe but will people like buy a 4k disc it's hard to say Man. people are buying projectors for their homes speaking of, so is, so we keep on talking about like video stores and home projectors oh my god yeah <laughs> but um and i don't want to jinx it but we talked about video stores and in ottawa there was a beloved video store called elgin street video which I hope we didn't jinx, but sadly closed down 
right yeah. after we said there was not many video stores left in Ottawa. And, and we used to be sponsored by Invisible Cinema, who bought, like, slideshows uh, advertisement and was one of our sponsors for... He gave us a bunch of prizes. All the time, yeah. And so... And that's gone, too. Yeah. But I was I was listening to the, the Nerdist uh, podcast as I biked here, and uh, one of the hosts just said that um, there's something you could buy now for $35,000 and $500 per movie... And it lets you watch brand new movies day of their release. So, for example, if you had one of these $35,000 home projectors, you could watch Avengers this weekend for the low, low price of $500. And it's a real thing. It's called the, it's called the Vista or the, the, the something. Like you pay so you pay print fees? Essentially, yeah. So you pay $35,000 for this fancy box. And then five hundred dollars. And then you're subject to the same. Every <laughs> I think movie the only theater. the only person I could see doing that is Howard Hughes. Yeah, just it, someone who like wants to, and he, and he did do stuff like that. Yeah, like he didn't want to leave the house. Yeah, you know what he did once he when he was like living at that casino, like towards the end of his life. Yeah, he really loved the movie. Um, I think it was Ice Station Zebra with Rock Hudson. Yeah, so he bought the local TV station. Yeah, so that. The movie could just play in a loop for him. Oh my god! That's a good. That's a good uh, use of, of money. If if I could buy a local TV station, I would just play Army of Darkness all day long. <laughs> actually, that's the joke. Is that if, if the Mayfair did actually sell like three hundred and twenty-five tickets a night, and we could do whatever we want, we would show Army of Darkness a lot like more our often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, everyone's while one slips in, but then like yeah, like. Mel would put Hook on the agenda yeah, once a Hook month. Would be Saturday mornings. <laughs> we have Spice World on there. Well, Tarantino's kind of doing that with his theater, where they show uh, like Reservoir Dogs at midnight and it's Kill like, Bill. Good on him, but but go online and look at the what's his theater called again? The New Beverly. The New Beverly. Look at the the website online for the New Beverly. They do monthly programming like we used to do. They do double bills every night, all thirty five millimeter, and. There's some stuff where it's like Scream and Scream 2. And like Happy Gilmore and Big Daddy. And yeah, it's like, just, and so. I think this whole 35 millimeter thing is, I, I support, I love 35 yeah. millimeter. Yeah, I love but like, 35 as well. Yeah. Just because it's on 35 yeah. doesn't mean, like, you can't, you don't want to just show anything. But. I wonder who shows up. Like, I, I'm sure people do. Yeah. But, you know, is well, he just was, running a theater so that he can well there? he keeps it open like he's been keeping that place open out of his own pocket yeah because the original owner was like I'm, I can't keep this place open yeah and Tarantino was subsidizing him saying like you know here's I'll give you like five yeah. grand a month to keep the doors open and does yeah. Quentin have are these all his prints because I know he has like a crazy print I collection imagine. but then it's like you know if you ever think you have too many DVDs or Blu-rays at home just imagine that every one of your DVDs came in two canisters that weighed however much they weigh each. You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you had to have like an airplane hanger with your 200 movies inside it. That's what I'm, I'm fascinated by Quentin's theater. And you look mm-hmm. at the programming and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had some naysayers be like, oh, how come you're not programming that? And you're like, well, because we'd be bankrupt. Nobody comes to a lot of these <laughs> movies. Like, like there's movies that I love, but I know that like if we played any number of cult movies that I, I love, and it's been proven, because sometimes, like, we have played Goonies and Monster Squad uh, and Space Jam, and nobody came to them. <laughs> somebody, Space Jam somebody did okay. Space Jam was so on the cusp. Like, Space it was like, Jam is a terrible movie. Like, How dare you? <laughs> Space Jam is the greatest sports film ever made. There's, we, yeah, we have, we have like, a, a minimum number we kind of aim for, more or less, 
and both screenings of Space Jam were like right three tickets right. under the, the minimum number. But like I think we managed to pay um, yeah. our minimum to the studio based on the ticket sales, but yeah. like not much more than that. Like we didn't make money off of yeah. that. We made our money off of Candy Bar. Yeah, and and now like we we really balance it like like. I'm coming to see my third movie in a, in a row tonight, and so on on Saturday I saw 71, which is kind of a uh, an awards caliber war picture. Last night I saw It Follows, which is another kind of film festival darling horror film, and tonight coming to see Kung Fu Killer. So we kind of keep, and then we have Exotic Marigold Hotel playing currently. So we keep things diverse, but the harsh reality, and I, I think most genre fans realize this, is that more people are coming to exotic marigold hotel than have ever come for one of our culty kind of things well, for, for the fo- most it part follows it did, follows did well did yeah. well yeah and it was so good but it's kind of sad though because i was talking to to lee our programmer last night he came to see it and I, he thought it was all right mm-hmm. um you know well made but he, he was saying something that i kind of have to agree with mm-hmm. he's like well it's you know the horror genre i mean i'm about to say something that like a lot of people are totally going to disagree with but uh, he's saying, you know, like, uh, horror movies are like westerns. It's like a dead genre. Like, there's nothing left to do. Yeah. Like, they're just remaking everything. E- even remaking movies, yeah. This horror movies especially. Yeah. And I think that's why It Follows is so popular and so loved, because it's it's an original yeah. story. Or Babadook. Or Babadook. No. There are some, I mean... That if, there if is they do, validity in what you're saying. If, I if, agree. If they do an original horror film, it, it might be a little overpraised because they're so scarce. Yeah. Like, I loved Cabin in the Woods, but Mm -hmm. it is a kind of a homage film to everything else. Mm -hmm. And I loved the latest Evil Dead reincarnation, but it's a... But are these movies scary? I mean, they're well made, but are they scary? Yeah. What was scary? Drag Me to Hell was scary. What is left that is scary anymore? When I think of... Well, that's, that's the whole idea. It's like, you know, there are people who love horror films because they love you know, the craft behind them. They're not yeah. scared by them. And then there are people who um, who do find them really scary. Yeah. You know, they'll go see something like Unfriended and find it genuinely scary. Yeah. But um, how many, like, truly great horror films are there? Well, even, even like, the, the current trend of uh, the kind of found footage stuff... Um, oh, my God, my, my mind just blanked. What was the first one called? Did, uh, Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project, but well, the more, no, more can, recent cannibal, one. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. yeah, but Blair Witch Project scared the hell out of me. But what's the recent one? Uh, a Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. My, my mind blanked. Paranormal Activity 1 scared the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. And I fully admit it's because I, people who don't like that kind of movie, I get it. Where they're like, oh my god, there's nothing going on, there's no monster, it's black and white, it's shaky cam, whatever. Mm-hmm. But something about my imagination kicked in on that movie, and even after watching it that night... I was at home, and for the first time ever, for no reason, my dog, with like ears perked up, was sitting looking down a dark hallway, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, don't do this right now!" Don't do this right now. <laughs> and so I still, yeah, there's still stuff that definitely scares me. Everything we've shown in last, it follows, was creepy enough that when I walked around the corner <laughs> to unlock my bike from the alley in between us and the shopper's drug mart beside us. You thought that a sex ghost would follow you home. <laughs> just, just for a second, you're like, I'm going to look down this alleyway 
And if somebody walks down that alleyway, my heart, I'm dead. Like, my heart or will stop. Like, tagging shoppers. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, our, our, our former manager, Christy, has stories of her wonderful slash horrible boyfriend scaring her while she was here alone. And I don't know the exact story, but she was, like, locking up and, like, kind Oh, of, I think I was here and I heard that. I yeah. Heard, I heard her kind of shriek and I'm like, what? And what? he basically, like, jumped out. For, I think she was going to, like, like lock the exit doors and there's, like, little curtains in front of him. And I think he was hiding underneath one of those curtains. Those curtains are a killer. And I was like, I would have either punched him in the face <laughs> and then he would have destroyed me uh, or I just would have died, like, right there. <laughs> I would have died right on the spot. Yeah. I think uh, you and him having a fight would be more interesting. That would be, that. yeah. <laughs> then then that, that weekend uh, boxing match. Yeah. That apparently was, like, totally... Who, who was it? I don't even know. We're I'll, totally not talking about movies. Okay. But. No, now we're talking about boxing. Okay, so let's get on program, because so we, we're recording this on a Monday, and we waited till... Um, the schedule came in. So came in, so we could talk about it. An hour after the schedule came in. Yeah, and because I'm busy elsewhere the next few days, so we're, we're recording this as... 71 screens so if you hear some gunshots don't worry it's just the movie if you hear some some irish uh accents some swearing uh so we have uh we've talked about before we have the very long titled lost soul the doom journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau this looks really fascinating this is another like kind of like yodorowsky's dune well this movie got Mm -hmm. made but this is like you know how this how this movie went wrong the, the 1996 Island of Dr. Moreau starring Marlon Brando. <laughs> Which, if you've seen, you know, and is Val a Kilmer. horrible, horrible movie. And But it's one of the, I think these documentaries fall under the title of, even if you're not a movie nerd or a genre movie nerd, it's, it's kind of horribly fascinating to watch a train wreck in motion. Uh, movies <laughs> about failure yeah. are always interesting. Documentaries about failure. And even if at the end they kind of, it, it's, and it's always that line of, even in kind of fictionalized documentaries, like, I have a friend who gets very uncomfortable watching that kind of Ricky Gervais style of The Office where where it's just a little sad and a little, you know, you're, you know that these people aren't going to succeed. And, yeah. and, and so I think this movie, the Lost Soul movie, is that, that where this guy, like, all his dreams and hopes in front of him doing this, this classic story. Val Kilmer, who at the time was doing, like, a Batman movie and The Saint, and he was quite hot at mm-hmm. the time. Marlon Brando was crazy but still Marlon Brando Mm -hmm. so I'm sure this guy thought like here we go and not so much (laughs) no what did he do he did a a movie called um, oh what was his he was like a Australian director he did like this cult film yeah oh someone just walked in someone's breaking in (laughs) hello oh there they go and uh, yeah but I think he did a cult film and this would have been like I mean if you think of anybody who does a cult film like you think like when Peter Jackson did his cult film, mm-hmm. it worked out, and he did his first American film was like Frighteners, and even though that didn't do great box office wise, it got him enough play to go do Lord of the Rings, and yeah. everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Or if you look at, you know, El Mariachi, that led to Robert Rodriguez doing a bunch of stuff. So yeah. I'm sure this guy thought this was his breakthrough thing, and then just from the trailer, I think it's just everything that could have gone wa- wrong. Yeah, they they lost faith in him, I guess, and they brought in John Frankenheimer, you know, the old the old veteran. Yeah. And apparently, he hated directing this movie. He hated working with Al Kilmer, and yeah, it's one of those like nightmare productions. So it should be full of great, yeah, gossipy tidbits about <laughs> the horrors of filmmaking. Yeah, and somebody, some people are asking like, "Oh, are you going to show Island of Doctor Moreau?" 
And it's like, <laughs> it's like oh, do you, do you really want to watch Island of Dr. Moreau? Because, like, let's just watch a movie about it. Yeah, I think it's safer for everyone involved just to watch this movie about it. Because um, it's, it's not a good movie at all. And it really is like that era of like, I'm fascinated by Marlon Brando. Because Marlon Brando in his youth was like the handsomest guy in Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and, and had, his, had, you know, everything going right in his career. And then he went crazy and, you know, put on 150 pounds mm-hmm. and wore a muumuu and, and wouldn't... Did know. he wear a muumuu in real life or is it just in... I remember seeing him in a... It seems like something that is falsely remembered from The Simpsons, but I seem to remember like a Larry King interview where he was like... Oh, he didn't wear his shoes or something. He yeah. Was like, he, was wear, he was wearing regular clothes, but he was like, oh, where are my, where are my shoes? Yeah. But I look at that and I'm like, who in... Like, is it going to be Brad Pitt? Is it going to be Matt Damon? Like, who, who of our younger or middle-aged now celebrity guys is going to just go nuts when, when they're... Well, Johnny Depp and Johnny and Depp has were, a good chance, buddies. yeah. <laughs> you know, he, Depp, Depp is obviously really influenced by him. Yeah. But I don't think Johnny Depp's nuts. He's a, he, he, like, yeah. he likes the, the uh, kind of being a little yeah. odd. Weird. Yeah. But yeah, I love movies like Lost World, like the, um, the, one, um, the one about poor Terry Gilliam when he was doing uh, Man in La Mancha. Isn't he doing that again? I though? think he's doing it again now. Hopefully, but that movie just breaks your little heart when you see poor yeah. Terry Gilliam. And he's been to... through that a lot. Yeah. Like, with more than one production. Yeah. And it shows you how hard, like, even if you, you know, like, so Terry Gilliam, who did kind of hit movies like like uh, uh, Fisher Brazil, King, Brazil, yeah. 12 Monkeys, that it's hard to make a movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you Great see... movies are, like, they're accidents, really. Yeah. Yeah. Happy accidents. And and some, it was Matt Damon, actually, speaking of, he said, the more fun you have on a movie, the worse it turns out. And I think he was kind of self-deprecatingly talking about, like, Ocean's 12 and 13, where he's like, everyone had fun, we're all friends, it was easy days, craft service was great, yeah. there was no stress. And then the movie just kind of like, eh, it's not the worst thing ever, but just it's a bunch of guys hanging around having fun, you know? Yeah. But most movies that... that are classics when you think of like Jaws or Apocalypse Now or even the first Star Wars are movies that were just hell for everyone involved. Well, Matt, the the new Mad Max movie, Fury Road, apparently, uh, I was reading a little bit of an interview with Charlize Theron where she's saying like, yeah, Tom Hardy and I fought and oh, George man. Miller and Tom Hardy fought. We're in, you know, the Namibia Desert, very little CGI, you know, we're actually like driving through nowhere it's like yeah she said it was like being on like the, a horrible road trip uh, it's gonna be great then <laughs> yeah, that, yeah well that's what i'm thinking like you want to hear that they spent six months you know in a hellish location making you know yeah. this difficult movie and people fought and but yeah. still respect each other at the end of the day yeah you don't want to hear like oh it, we had such a great time in this uh, sound stage in yeah. montreal you know yeah. it was a lot of fun yeah it was very sterile yeah yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a great movie. No. Uh, okay, so that. So another movie we have coming up is Boy Choir. Starring Dustin Hoffman. Finally. Some folks waited a long time for that one. Yeah. And, and this is a Canadian director. Yes. And I don't know if it, I, I never know that, that line of Canadian content of if it counts as Canadian or not. But it's a somewhat Canadian film um, with, with um, Dustin Hoffman in it. And it's about a boy choir. And it just looks like a really good uh, kind of... Family friendly, friendly, uh, feel good. Apparently, it's a kind of a a, a nicer version of Whiplash. That, that, that yeah. yeah, it's like Whiplash without the with, with less like deme- demeaning yeah. and abusive less behavior. Abuse, yeah. 
That's funny. It's yeah. It's like the to the the tame Fe- feather instead of whiplash would be like feather feather yeah. dust or feather Every, tickle. <laughs> everything turns feather out duster. everything turns out fine in the end. But yeah, we've had that one on on the rota- on the uh, circling for a while. So we have that coming up. We have some matinees of that one. So that's kind of a a family friendly matinee we have coming up, and then we have nighttime shows of that as well. Um, and then we have so two musical movies. two musical movies. Uh, the next one is the Wrecking Crew. Uh, which is just caught my eye today. I didn't really know anything about it. The one thing that caught my eye is it's from 2008, which I thought was strange. Uh, but then, Andrew, you were saying that... It uh, looks like there's a million people in it. Yeah. Well, th- I guess this is another documentary about session musicians and how they don't get the glory yeah. until now. So I guess the... Let's see here. The Wrecking Crew, they were like... Um, West Coast guitar players. Yeah, and I think they played on the backup for like every famous musician you've ever heard of. Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, the Beach Boys, the Monkees, the Birds. They pretty the much birds. paved the way for all of these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's a movie that kind of sat in distribution limbo for a few years because although it's stamped as 2008, it's only kind of coming out now, and I think has been at film festivals. Uh, this year and last year, because he, he couldn't get uh, the filmmaker couldn't get. I think it's directed by the son of one of the musicians. Okay, yeah, and he couldn't get uh, licensing for the music. I mean, that's you know that's very expensive. Yeah. yeah, and it. I guess it can take years to uh, secure all that. And, yeah, music- and there was a Kickstarter campaign to to raise the money for that. People always kind of forget about music uh, in the movies, and especially how expensive it is. And I remember hearing that even like in the seventies. With American Graffiti, they had a but like say the budget was like a million dollars, which at the time is more than a million, but like million dollars. It was something ridiculous, like thirty-five or forty percent of their budget was music rights, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because there was so much, much music in it. So now, like whenever I see a movie, there's a lot more synergy nowadays. So like I mean, if you see a movie and the one I always remember that that seems so out of place was was uh, Avril Lavigne did theme song to Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton movie, which seemed weird to me, but it was because she is on Disney's, one of their distribution arms. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, we're going to put a Disney yeah, person. Yeah, they, they want to they sell their artist and put her on the soundtrack. Yeah. So when you see a movie, like I think Wrecking Crew, which has X amount of songs in its 90 minutes, like, I don't know, dozens and dozens, and they're probably, some are Motown and some are RCA and some are Sony and some are Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Just the logistics of paying for the rights for all of those. Like even even like Guardians of the Galaxy, I remember reading that it's the first or it's like one of the most successful soundtracks with like that style, like not with a musical score. Seventies like solid gold yeah. hits. And it's and it's all different different people as well. Like it's mm-hmm. not just all the same the same uh, company. Yeah, none of it's contemporary like none of it's recent. It's yeah. all like seventies hits. So with Wrecking Crew and, and I think the irony too with the Wrecking Crew is is, is that you're talking about these guys who were ripped off and then you're paying for music rights to the well, people who there did are, it. there are documentaries where they, they just, they f- go without the music. Like there's a, yeah. or even feature films. There's a, a feature, there's a biopic about Jimi Hendrix that just came yeah. out mm-hmm. and there's no Jimi Hendrix music in That's it so because, weird. you know, they can't afford to, so it's all about Jimi Hendrix before he became Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Before he did all those great songs. Yeah. That gives him uh, an excuse. That was like Selma, uh, different obviously, but Selma didn't actually have any quotes from Martin Luther King in it because same thing because somebody 
because somebody has the rights to his so speech. weird how can how can That's oprah so weird how can oprah not make that happen <laughs> i know you think oprah could have just like oprah's like got oprah can do anything that's, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think. What I wonder is why a white person has the rights to such a Is speech. it a white person? Is it Spielberg for real? I'm fairly certain Man. it's a white dude. If not, we're all going to be sued now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it is weird, like, the behind the scenes of, of, of rights, whether it be um, images or speeches or music, how it can really hinder a movie's distribution and, and make people scared about, like, do you really want to do a biopic or a documentary about this because it's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna take so long to get it all figured well, out well it follows did a good job of uh in its uh art direction creating its own products right um you know the there's you know they're eating cereal that's clearly like a fake cereal and there's you know there's yeah. no source music you know no right. like uh, hit songs yeah so they did a good job of sort of um creating I always hate fictional that. products and stuff, so they you know don't have to worry about uh, securing yeah. uh, product placement That's and all that. Cool. I always hate in a movie or a TV show when somebody walks into a bar and says, "Give me a beer," where even I, as a non-drinker, know any bar you go into has a good dozen or more kinds of beer. <laughs> yeah, you go you go into a bar and give me a beer, and they're like, "Well, what do you want?" And and it was something I watched recently. Don't waste my time if you don't know what you yeah. want to drink. You know, I think it was, again, talking about things that aren't movies, I think it was Breaking Bad, where, where he walked into a bar and they just made something up. And so they said, he said, like, give me a, a this could be a real beer, but he said, like, give me a Red Dragon or something. Mm-hmm. And give me a Red Dragon. And I thought that was so cool. That's a good name for a beer. Of just making, and I know Quentin Tarantino made up a cigarette brand. That uh, lucky apple that travels around yeah. the Quentin Tarantino-verse. See, that's, that's what filmmakers should be doing, is yeah. creating. I know that there's big money in product placement, but if you're a low-budget filmmaker with yeah. no access to that, you know, you make up your own brands. And I've seen stuff, too, of, gives, like... Gives uh, the art director lots to do. When they're really lazy, and you use, like, a Coke can, and someone just is, like, taking a piece of gaffer tape and, like, putting it over the Coke. Well, oh, you it, see that on Trailer Park Boys all the oh, time, where so they're blanking bad. that out. Like, it's that so really, <laughs> you know, that that hurts the, the show, the, yeah. the movie, you know. That's I remember, the credibility. I remember when it was, like, some old bad sitcom, but it was, like, somebody was, like, unpacking their groceries... And it was like, you know, Lucky Charms. And you could see Charms and you could see like half of the the mascot, but they just took two pieces of tape and kind of covered the mascot a bit and mm-hmm. covered the Lucky. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, guys, really? Like, that's the best you can do? But, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I always appreciate whenever they just make something up. It's like it's like the 555 in movies. Anytime somebody has 555, you just go, oh, watching a movie. <laughs> I just appreciate set design so much. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot that goes into it. That's yeah. sort of what I wanted to do when I first started school. Yeah. And then... I hate when they get it wrong, though. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like um, example is Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> yes, that's cinematic. It's set in, classic. like, 1987, I yeah. guess. And... Uh, there's a guy's bedroom and you see a poster for Rambo 3 and it's like, well, that didn't oh, come yeah. out until like a year later. So I notice things like that. It kind of drives me nuts. And there it's was like one... Paying attention to the... I th- if I remember correctly, I'm sure you could internet this, but I think it's in Super 8. And I forget what year Super 8 was set in. Was it 1980 or... 79. 79. So I believe in Super 8, the kid has boba fett's vehicle in his bedroom mm-hmm. and i'm like you're a year to her like, yeah. like and, and just the nerd of me like totally totally took me out of the movie because i'm like oh that was somebody who you know how hard would it have been to just use the millennium falcon or use an x-wing but somebody put that in there and i was like oh you screwed that up or even you'll see kids reading like 
a Spider-Man comic, but it's like a present-day Spider-Man comic, and you're like, you can't be reading that in 1979. Yeah, it has to fit the character too. Like, and again, with it follows. Yeah. Uh, the main girl and the guy in the beginning, they go see Charade. Yes. At like a rep house. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's because Charade is in the, I think it's in the public domain. It must be. Probably, yeah. You don't see them watching it, but you see, I think you see like a poster, you see it on the marquee. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, would they go and see Charade? Like yeah. a couple, that like young hip couple, would they want to go could, see that? Could they? Maybe. Could be hipstery enough? Maybe it was yeah. just what was actually playing at the cinema that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so Wrecking Crew, cool, cool documentary, Boy Choir, um, Lost Soul. Soul. And the other one is The Riot Club. From the director of An Education. An Education. So this is a really good movie. Really good movie. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this is about snobby, uh, rich, douchey boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a douche club or something. Yeah. And I think it's one of those like harrowing, one of those movies that walks that line where like all the characters, I don't know, like I haven't seen it yet, but all the characters are kind of bad guys. And it's kind of like, it's a very soap opera-y mm-hmm. kind of British. It's based on a play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like like... British, British high elite, uh, with a friend of mine pointed out how horribly attractive everybody on the poster was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it looks very different than an education. Um, or he, the other one he did was uh, One Day. Was that what it's called? Like a, mm-hmm. it was like a day in the life romantic drama kind of movie. Uh, but it it, it 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 reminds me of very like um, it's getting comparisons to Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. Wolf, yeah, like a, a, a younger British Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, that's something that like British filmmakers really do well. That kind of unlikable characters, kind of some somebody in there will learn a valuable lesson. You'll see a lot of people. And it's almost like some people say, oh, how can you watch a horror movie? It's so disturbing. You're like, well, it's kind of like it's not happening to you, so you can go in and watch it. <laughs> it's like, and so you watch these people do horrible things, you're like, I would never do it's that. Like, it's like Homer Simpson. It's funny, because I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. And it's like, you don't have to agree with what the people are doing to think, well, that's entertaining, or that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's that makes it... Well, it's like when that guy complained to us about 12 Years a Slave. Like, yeah. you should be ashamed that you're showing us. It's like, yeah. well, we... we well, you know, we're not I'm slavery sorry you're uncomfortable, but you won't learn anything if you are comfortable. <laughs> and, you and, know? and I think it's pretty clear that like Michael Fassbender is not the hero of that film. You know, like yeah. we're supposed to watch that and go Well and like maybe in the Deep South he's the hero. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> like don't do what Michael Fassbender does in that movie. That's always like anytime I see something like that, that's there's part of my brain that goes like, Oh, there's somebody watching this movie for the wrong reason. But that doesn't stop that you should still be showing it if there's one idiot out there who... You can't censor yourself. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like these types of films are being made so that people know about this stuff that otherwise wouldn't, I think, in a way. Um, So, you know, if you you don't put that content out there, then we're still in the same place that we are now. And even like with documentaries... like 10 years ago. (laughs) What did we just screen? The... uh, uh, we screened a documentary about the the evils of people lying on the stands of, of uh, Merchants of Doubt. Merchants of Doubt. And a friend of ours who came to see it with me, I didn't think she was going to make it through. She was getting so furious. And But the thing is, you make those documentaries and hopefully you can win over a couple people. A lot of times it's hard because, you know, anyone who's pro that 
is probably not going to be buying a ticket to that, but mm. but you can't you can't not unless they want to see their friends in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> hey, there's my friend in that movie who did that horrible thing. But um, but yeah, so like when you're screening the controversial films, you can't not show one because then where do you stop? Right? Like it's the argument of ages ago when we were screening, you know, Human Centipede. Uh, if you stop showing the horror film that people are interested in seeing, where do you go next? Like you don't show twelve. People years won't know that there are human centipedes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a valuable thing. And you just don't don't go to it. It's kind of that simple. It's, it's the Kickstarter argument of people were angry about certain actors or or famous folks having Kickstarters or certain individuals doing Kickstarters. And it's on my mind more and more because, like, so many movies we screen now, like, like, it, like the Wrecking Crew, is Kickstarter related or or, or crowdfunding related. Mm-hmm. But it basically all comes down to like, if if like you don't have to give Zach Braff money, like <laughs> like he, like just don't give him money, and and then uh, he'll make his movie or not, you know? Like, if you don't like Veronica Mars, you don't have to participate in the Veronica Mars crowdfunding thing, but. I think it's this really great way that people are, whether you're famous or tiny, of getting whether you're famous, or famous tiny. or tiny, or tiny and famous, of getting your films made nowadays. And it's more and more, even movies that don't kind of publicize themselves as crowdfunding movies, you kind of stick through the end credits, and all of a sudden you see like when you special see like thanks to 150 and yeah thank yous yeah, and it seems like. Very frequently now, that's happening more and more. Especially, with Do- I, I think it was Merchants of Doubt that had that, and oh, and it was um, Last Impresario had that as well. Mm-hmm. And where they're getting crowdfunding in lieu of big major studio funding or arts grant funding, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, that's good because if you're getting it from, you know, if you have X amount of people that could all chip in five bucks and you get your fifty thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars or whatever you're going to get, and you're not cutting into government funding and you're not having to switch your vision in order to get distribution with a major studio. Mm-hmm. It's all better, I think. It's all Well, that's kind of how it's working with uh, case in point, like Super Troopers 2, which yeah. know, they've raised like $2 million in like a day or two. Yeah. And the way it works is, I mean, Fox had, I think it funded that movie, the first one. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, Fox is like, well, we're not going to finance this movie, but if you get money, we'll release yeah. it for you. Yeah. And I think that's the same case with uh, Clerks 3. Like, Kevin yeah. Smith went to the Weinsteins, and they're like, this is a $5 million movie. We're not... Yeah. It's too much for us, but if you get money elsewhere, we'll distribute it for you. Yeah. And if, and if the Kevin Smith fans want to support that, good. You know, that means, like, they pay 25 bucks and get a T-shirt or 100 bucks and get their name in the credits or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And they think it's fun because you get to participate in this cool thing. Yeah. And then the movie gets made and there you go, you know. And, and uh, it's not as underhanded as people might think because, you know, if you're a Kevin Smith or a Zach Braff, you're famous, but, you know, you're not Bill Gates. You don't have hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. And if you're making a $5 million movie, that could be your bank account. And then if that doesn't turn around then you're homeless, you know? And, and so, but if you could, if you could make a couple million dollars via crowdfunding and then you're, and then, you know, you get to all that other stuff too. You're, you're paying a crew, you're paying your craft service people, you're paying your editors, you're paying everybody. So that money's going to other things, helping out people. And, and you get a movie made that otherwise wouldn't have happened. 
and then you have a small support group who will come out and see it as well. Yeah, I think it's all good. It's cool. And it's happening... Like That being said, there's Kickstarters for too many things <laughs> yeah, nowadays. Like, but I think a lot just don't work. I, I, I've seen some where people are doing it and just... It doesn't get support. And mm-hmm. then you're like, okay. Like a friend of mine did a comic book, got great support. And now his comic book got made and he's doing other things. And, mm-hmm. and like other many more good deed things. People with who are sick or people who are trying to do, you know, building homes for poor people. Like there's actually really important things happening with crowdfunding stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just think it's neat how it's changing the, the film industry now. Yeah. And people are going to get to make... Like, before, they would just say, no, we're not doing Clerks 3, and now... There's just a lot more opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you're... And especially if you're doing and something... And it's a way around studios and their restrictions and... Yeah. You know, which, I, from what I understand, there are a lot of... Mm-hmm. Well, like, the best... When you... I saw Guillermo del Toro uh, do... Uh, um, when I was down in San Diego, he and uh, Doug Jones and a couple other people involved in the Hellboy movies did a panel. And he was saying it took them so long to get off the ground because they wouldn't say no to Ron Perlman. And the studios were like, no, you have to cast somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody else. And then one, and th- these are legit notes for a movie called Hellboy about a comic book about a red guy from hell who smokes cigars and is a demon. It was like, can you not call it Hellboy? Does it have to be red? We don't like the color red. Uh, he shouldn't be smoking cigars because that's a bad influence on the kids. Does he have to be so grumpy and surly? Does it have to be so scary? Like, these are notes from, like, major studios. And, and Del or, Toro was like, it does, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, well, like the Amy Schumer movie, um, somebody was telling me that they um, actually told her that they needed to hire somebody else to play her because she was not skinny enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. Things like that are insane. And then, and then, thankfully, Judd Apatow came in and was like, no, Amy Schumer will be playing Amy Schumer in this movie. Movie about her life, and I'm going to direct it and leave her alone. You yeah. know, yeah. But if, if it had been directed by somebody who wasn't as kind of um, uh, normal? A, 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 a normal <laughs> and, a, and a very um, a male feminist guy like yeah. Judd Apatow, it would have been like starring somebody who was a hundred pounds, and you know they would have changed everything. Tara Reid. Yeah, it would have been like yeah, it would have been that, but that that and. That's not so far from the truth when you look at certain, especially remember like '90s romantic comedies where they were like, "You're a gorgeous girl in glasses and overalls," and she was. Oh yeah, like, like she's all that. Yeah, she's, she's all that. She's, she's, can't hardly wait. she's yeah. like a ten, but yeah. they they tried like half-assed to like yeah. make her look. You're you know, you're, you're a average. She's like a bunch of dudes' wet dream. Today. And and it, and it was so glasses and all. Like, but so, they put overalls and like some paint yeah. stains on her and yeah. make her kind of into, <laughs> and they like, make her into abstract. Make her uh, her character into abstract art, and that's bad for like, <laughs> like everyone oh, involved because it like makes makes like the like it's just like it makes everybody no matter what you look like feel bad because you're like so you're saying I'm ugly because you're saying she's ugly and you're this and that and but that's Hollywood there are that's millions like of people on the planet and yeah there's a lot of brunettes with glasses yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was it's like a it's like a bad Saturday Night Live sketch almost when you see that like the legit movie is. Oh, she took off her glasses and put on a dress. Like it, like wow, that's horrible. That's the worst thing ever. She has to wear makeup every day for people to be impressed. Like, yeah. So it's so yeah. nice when when you have when you have your Amy Schumer's getting a lead role in a. Hope. And she's not bad looking. Oh, she's great, and, and she's hilarious. Yeah. And and so it, it's so nice when 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 that 
makes it through the evil Hollywood system. Gets through all of the filters. Yeah, and because they're always in that joke of like over the checks. when you have like Denise Richards playing a scientist in a James Bond movie, it's just like. Oh really, people? Like it's just like that's not that's not believe. I know it's a James Bond movie. I know, I know it's a James Bond movie, but but I'm I'm not accepting that casting in this movie. Yeah. Even a little bit, but uh, yeah, man. Again, we got horribly off track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. I think we actually managed to touch base on everything though that we have coming out. Um, We've got Heritage minutes on Wednesday, but oh, it's sold out, so don't yeah. come. <laughs> Heritage Minutes. Yeah. So don't come. Heritage Minutes. But uh, it's a cool booking. It, it's, it's another, uh, it's like... the thing that I've been the most excited about in yeah. a while. So what are the classic ones? There's the one about uh, uh, John Naismith inventing basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's the one about Winnie the Pooh that points out that Winnie the Pooh is only called Winnie the Pooh because four-year-olds are immature and like saying poo. I, 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 that blew my mind when I remember seeing that. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> like, that's yeah. like... I think there's a railroad one. There's the there's, one about Laura Secord. Yeah. There's Nellie McLung, which is the nice women don't want the vote. Yeah. Um, well, the one, the one. Oh, that, what is that? The one where she's uh, she like shows a, a drawing of a penis in like a courtroom or something. I think so. Oh, possibly. Something, something about like people being hypocrites about yeah. showing anatomy in classrooms or something. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the the Superman one, which even when I was like ten and saw it, I was already nerd enough to be like, "This is a web of lies, Heritage Minutes," <laughs> because I, I'm going to come and, and I'm going to stand up and like heckle. There's it. fake ones that they've made, like on Twenty Two Minutes, yeah, that are really funny, yeah. Like they, they do, they did one about how they they found how they started the Heritage right, Minutes, right? It's like, oh, like if we can just show our heritage in a minute, yeah. What would we call it? <laughs> well, and the, the Superman one was just like. It kind of bent the truth because, like, in reality, Superman is co-created by... Joe Schuster. Joe Schuster. Frank Schuster's brother. Yeah, the comedian Frank Schuster's brother, and he's Canadian. So he's the artist. The writer, Jerry Siegel, is an American. But in the Heritage Minute, it made it seem like Joe Schuster... Did everything. Did everything and kind of off the cuff drew a sketch for his, I forget, like his cousin Lois or something like that. So there's there's hints of reality there, but what really happened is an American guy made up the 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 idea of Superman, and then a Canadian guy did the cape and the, everything like that. Mm-hmm. So so definitely, but did not well, happen. People, people, you know, we live in a world where people, for for great things like that, people only want to give credit to one. Person. Yeah, yeah, and and so that always bothered me, even when I was a little kid. I was like, that's not how it happened. There's two guys who created that, but. But yeah, it's it's very neat doing doing fun things like this. Whether it be um, uh, you know a, a classic movie being shown with musical accompaniment or short film festivals or, or this Heritage Minute thing. Uh, but as we mentioned, it's sold out, it's so sold you out. can't come. come. <laughs> <laughs> and it sold out very quick on the internet, like in like less than a day, I think. As soon as we got that Eventbrite posting, yeah, I think as soon as people clued in that it was going to be a free thing, yeah, bam, it was over, done. Yeah. But keep an eye out because maybe we'll have more cool free stuff like this in the future. I so. think the cool thing about this event is they're doing it in a bunch of cities simultaneously. Yeah. So maybe it's not anyway. sold out in Winnipeg. You can go to Winnipeg, <laughs> go to Winnipeg and watch it. Plane. It'll be worth it. But uh, I think we're about near wrapping up here. I think we have to go and uh, let 71 out. And um, I'm going to hopefully bike home in not a hurricane because mm-hmm. it was really horrible weather earlier today. 
Josh almost flew to work today. Yeah, it was crazy. And then hover, I get, hover biked. It was nuts. I don't know the science <laughs> of it, but but biking along the canal during an impending storm was was quite harrowing. Um, and then I'm going to come back and watch uh, Kung Fu Killer tonight, which looks super awesome. Yay. So uh, check our website and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. iTunes, uh, Stitcher. What are, what are we not on right now? <laughs> Uh, I don't think we're on. What's, what's the uh, dating app? We're not on the dating uh, app. Grind, Grinder. Grinder. We're not on Grinder. We should just put Mayfair, just, just a picture of the Mayfair Theater on there. Um, we're on everywhere on social media. Come chat with us. Come say hi. Come see all our movies this week. And uh, we'll be back in about a week to tell you about more movies and drive horribly off topic from what we should be talking about. <laughs> That's podcasting for you. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Get more out of life. Go out to a movie.